Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. He's Hacker. Talk about a fried egg. I lasted about five minutes out there. I said, to heck with this. I'll do this in the morning. And I don't have any inside information. The lady that did it, she got in there. I mean, she made it happen. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. And I do enjoy drinking cold beer at ballparks. So if that makes me a baseball fan, then I'm a diehard baseball fan. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Oh, yeah. Friday, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. A very good Friday evening to you, Jacksonville, with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker, Ryan Green, with you to close out the week. And what a week it has been here in the city of Jacksonville. A brand new defensive coordinator. A very interesting press conference involving a general manager. It is not well-liked among many Jaguar fans, and we will certainly get into that with the thoughts of Trent Baalke and your thoughts on Trent Baalke. Uh, By the way, it is Championship Sunday, right? They're going to decide the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. You got Detroit, San Francisco as the nightcap in the NFC. You got Kansas City and Baltimore. Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson in the AFC We've already previewed the NFC title game. We're going to go to both Baltimore and Kansas City tonight and look at the AFC title game. Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City, comes up in the 9 o'clock hour. Luke Jones, WNST Radio up in Baltimore, comes up later on in the 8 o'clock hour to look at the Ravens and the Chiefs. Also, Leon Searcy. You get him every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. He comes up. In less than 15 minutes, we got a giveaway for you. How exciting is that on a Friday night? Stay tuned for that here. And if I was a betting man, I'd say under 15 minutes, you will have the opportunity to be a winner heading into the weekend here on 1010XL just by listening to Hacker After Dark. But as we always do, to kick it off here on HAD, we give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right. So, all day today, it's been about the press conference that Trent Balky held down at the Miller Electric Center one day ago. You know, there's a tiny similarity between, and I do mean tiny similarity, between Jaguar general manager Trent Baalke and the things that he says and what people think of him and some of us here on 1010XL. And what I mean by that is this. Some of you, not all, I won't even say most, but I would say some that listen to us, and we certainly appreciate it, don't get me wrong. That's why we're here, because you listen to us. That's why we are here. Some of you have preconceived notions about us. Some of you just simply do not like things that I say. You listen, and we appreciate it. I certainly appreciate it, but you just don't like it. I could say anything, and you would find flaw with it. I know this because some of you do find flaw with anything that I say. 
Now, Denmark, you might find this surprising, but back in my younger years, you know, when I was at Florida Community College of Jacksonville and then the University of North Florida, right when I was breaking into the business, I mean 17, 18 years ago, I was maybe not as objective back then as I should have been. I was 22, 23 years old. But you would be amazed at things people remember from what I said that long ago. Maybe an anti-Florida State thought here, a Tim Tebow to Jacksonville thought there, and literally because of things that I said 15 so years ago, oh, Hacker sucks. He doesn't know what he's talking about. It's terrible. I've heard it all. It's fine. I, if I can't sway your opinion, I'm not going to try to. I hope that you still give me a chance, but you have thoughts about me or any of us on 1010XL, not just me, any of us. And no matter what we say, your opinion's never going to change. I go back to Trent Balky, same line of thinking. If you do not like Trent Balky, and based of those of you on social media, that is the overwhelming majority, it does not matter what that man says. He could come out and say that water is wet. He could come out and say every day of the week ends with the letter Y. He could say grass is green and the sky is blue. And you know what? Some of you will just want to argue and find flaw with any of that. Because you simply do not like Trent Baalke. And that's your prerogative as a fan. That is your right as a fan. I go back and I listen to that press conference again from yesterday. I listened to it earlier today. There are some things that I found flaw with. There there are some things that I did not like. But the overwhelming backlash that guy has gotten again from this fan base Man, alive. Little over the top, a little bit. Have we forgotten that he was the general manager that in 2021 had the Jaguars at three wins and then a year later had the Jaguars in the AFC Divisional Playoff? Oh, I forgot. That was Doug Peterson. Trent Baalke had nothing to do with that. You can't give Baalke credit for anything in this city. You just can't. General manager gets no credit for bringing in Christian Kirk or Evan Ingram or Zay Jones or Foye Aluikin or drafting Tyson Campbell or Andre Sisco, signing Darius Williams. You get no credit for any of that. None. Go back to what I just said. It doesn't matter what he does. You're going to find flaw with it. Trent Baalke, for most of you that are listening right now, most of you certainly on social media, has passed the point of no return. I'm not even sure, and I truly mean this, I'm not even sure a division title and home field advantage and a couple of playoff wins would get Trent Baalke in your good graces at this point. You have a preconceived notion of him, and you're done. It doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter what he says. You're done. And that's the job he signed up for. He's a big boy. He's an NFL general manager making a ton of money. That's his job is to deal with fan bases and to make owners happy. And that's part of the gig, right? Well, he understands that. 
But that press conference yesterday needed to be held. Nothing good was going to come out of it. And the media is kind of like that too. My Myself, I have thoughts about Trent Baalke going in that didn't change after that press conference, as you the fans did. It's just interesting going back and listening to it. If you didn't know any of the backstory, if you didn't know anything that had happened prior with the clown movement or anything that this fan base thought of Balky going into yesterday, you go back and you listen to that and you think, all right, yeah, he said a couple of things I didn't like, but man, should he be getting this much grief about it? Fan base is just over it, man. They're over it. And I don't know how you change that unless you get a new general manager, which Shad Khan has proven that that's just simply not going to happen. At least for the here and now, that's not going to happen. Trent Baalke's the guy. Like it, love it, learn to deal with it because it's reality. Trent Baalke is your general manager here in Jacksonville. What could he have said that would have swayed your opinion? What can he do moving forward that'll make you change your thoughts on the guy? I'm getting close to thinking Press Taylor's in the same boat. Say what you will about the Jaguar fan base, and I think you guys are vastly underrated. I've told you that for a long time. The passion in this city, a lot of people care about that football team. You guys have gotten bashed out nationally for no reason. You are a terrific fan base, but you are a fan base that does not change their opinion on people. Once it's over, it's over. The only exception to that that I can really think of, and this is more a player than a coach or a GM, is probably Andrew Wingard. There was a perception about Dewey Wingard. Fans just didn't like him for whatever reason. And then all of a sudden, Dewey began to be Dewey, and the fan base started liking him. Other than that, this fan base, once they have an opinion on you, brother, it's done. And I say all of that to say this. It's obvious there are problems with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Obvious. They can say whatever they want publicly, and they can put on a happy face, and and they can, you know, whatever. But when you have a collapse like that, you fire 10 coaches less than 24 hours after the season ends. You have a general manager that did not hire the head coach. They did not come in on the same time frame. Right, Balky was already here, so they're not in unison. You got a head coach that's unbelievably loyal to an offensive coordinator, a situation with the same two guys that cost him his job in Philadelphia after winning a Super Bowl. There's a lot of stuff going on with the Jaguars. Now you got this Josh Allen situation where Balky looks like he might have dropped the ball on that one yesterday at the press conference. Allen coming out today and his reps reportedly not happy that there's been no communication with Balky since the season ended. A lot of negativity, man, swirling around the organization. You need something good to happen. Something good would be re-signing Josh Allen. Something good maybe would be re-signing Calvin Ridley prior to free agency. Or something good that could have happened yesterday 
Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke both sitting at the table answering questions together. You didn't have that. You had Doug Peterson do his press conference 17 days ago. Trent Baalke does his press conference yesterday. Solo. Jobs for both. Not together. That's not a good look. I didn't think about it yesterday, but in thinking more about it, you could have put a lot of questions to bed if you simply would have had the guys out there together. That did not happen. Why did that not happen? I don't know. We'll see what happens moving forward. But there is a lot of negativity surrounding this franchise right now, which is amazing because Thanksgiving, which was less than two months ago, the Jaguars were an 8-3 and three football team and the number one seed in the AFC for a few hours. What was less than two months ago seems like a lifetime ago now. 641-1010 on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Dylan Denmark, is it my understanding that on a Friday night here in Jacksonville, Florida, we have a giveaway? Yeah, Shin Young shows are coming January 30th and 31st to the Jacksonville Center for the Performing Arts. Uh, Shin Young apparently revives 5,000 years of civilization through choreographed dance, music combining. Uh, where do I go? There's a long list right here. Civilization through choreographed dance, music combining classical, Western, Chinese instruments, and dynamic 3D drop. I don't even know what all that is, but it sounds fun. So if you want to go, get a pair of tickets right here at 641 When is it and where is it? It's the 30th and 31st, uh, the Jacksonville Center for the Performing Arts. Nice. Yeah, my wife loves stuff like that. Gentlemen, what are you doing? Give us a call right now, 641-1010. We will take caller four. Get something nice for the family on us here at Hacker After Dark. 641-1010, caller four right now. Dylan Denmark will hook you up with a pair of tickets. Former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle, Leon Searcy, coming up next. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. And then there were four championship Sunday in the National Football League, Detroit and San Francisco. In the NFC, of course, you got Kansas City and Baltimore in the AFC. And while all that's going on, Certainly some interesting things going on here in Jacksonville as well. With that, we welcome in my buddy Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You get him every day on primetime, and you get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, how you doing, bud? Man, I'm doing great, bro. Leon, appreciate the time. I want to get to Championship Sunday in a moment, but before we do that, let's stay local. Brand-new defensive coordinator, Ryan Nielsen, Again, I don't expect you to know too much about him. I know you probably, like me, have done a little research in the last, you know, 24 to 48 hours. But what's your thought on Nielsen coming to Jacksonville to take over the defense? Well, you know what, Hack? I mean, listen, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a person that, you know, I'm going to wait and see. All right? It's the off-season, so I have optimism. It's called off-season optimism. So any hire that the Jaguars make, I'm going to say it's a slam dunk until I see the product on the field. So, I mean, like you, I had to do my research on Nielsen and see, uh, you know, what kind of coordinator he is. I mean, I think he was a first-time coordinator with the Falcons last year, did a pretty good job. This will be year two for him coming into Jacksonville. So, 
Uh, I know he, that some of his schemes that he runs most of the time, he runs a, a you know attack style defense with press man uh, coverage. He ran that over fifty three percent of the time. So I'm just concerned that may, do we have the personnel in place to run that kind of scheme? And if we don't, then maybe this off season we got to do some we got to do some soul searching and go find some guys not only in free agency, maybe in the draft. Uh, to get the right components together so that he can run the scheme that he ran in Atlanta. Leon Nielsen's got a defensive line background as opposed to Mike Caldwell, who had a linebacker background. Will that matter? I mean, will we notice things come training camp that look different because of what Nielsen is familiar with compared to what Caldwell was familiar with? Well, hopefully because he does have a defensive line background, especially with the New Orleans Saints. And I heard that when he was with the Saints, he was more hands-on when it came to his D-line. And the one thing that uh, I, I'm concerned with is the interior of the defensive line. So if he has this, you know, if he's got his middens uh, entrenched in those guys, you know, maybe there we'll see an uptick in the defensive front as far as getting after the passer and maybe stopping the run, which we had problems with for the most part the second half of the season. Um, so, no, I, I don't know that there's, there's any difference uh, as far as, you know, Caldwell's background behind linebackers and his background with defensive linemen. You know, I'm just hoping that whoever comes, I mean, when he comes here, the assistant coaches that he brings in, um, I hope that they're hands-on when it comes to these guys and I hope that they, they, he helps with the development of this team moving forward. I don't know if they can coach a lick, but I'll tell you this. Well, seeing a picture of Nielsen and Huxtable, the guy he's bringing with him from Atlanta, I think we got a couple of beer drinkers. I think these are guys you could belly up to a bar with and have a good time. Uh, certainly, they look like man's men. And, you know, look, when I see Nielsen on video, man, you're right. Attack, 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 destroy, destroy, destroy. That wasn't Mike Caldwell. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But Caldwell wasn't that rah, rah, get-in-your-face guy like it appeal, appears Nielsen is. Well, I mean, I, I mean that's fine and dandy that you're going to be an attack-style defense, but you got to have the personnel in place. I'm not sure, quite frankly, that we have the personnel in place, especially in the back end of our defense as far as the secondary goes, because, you know, most of those guys, especially our corners, you know, uh, Darius, uh, Darius and, uh, and Tyson, you know, most of the time they ran zone. You know, they, they Caldwell only ran – he ran um, a man press coverage maybe only, what, 16% of the time. And most of the stuff he ran was zone. So you got to think of this too. Also, hack is that you got Darius Leonard and you got Tyson Campbell going into the last year of the contract. Now, one or two things can happen. They can flourish in this attack style defense, man press defense, and make them some money. But if they struggle it in, they struggle in this uh, man press coverage defense that he runs fifty percent of the time. You know, it can uh, it can be it can have a quiet effect on their pocketbooks moving forward because these guys are going their last uh, last year of the contract. They're either going to flourish or they're going to get exposed. And either way, you're either going to make money or you're going to burn it. Former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy. Leon, there's a lot of rumblings around the organization whether there's a rift between you know Balky's camp and Peterson's camp when it comes to Press Taylor. Did they agree on Ryan Nielsen, or was there issues there? One wanted one guy, another wanted another, and, and ultimately one of them won out with getting Nielsen. And look, I don't know how much of this stuff is true, but I, I tend to believe that with so much of it out there, it would be hard to believe that some of it was not true. What, what do you make of all this around the organization right now? 
Well, you know, Hank, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm, a, I'm like you. I mean, I know you're a fan of wrestling. I think that you should just have a cage match to see best man come out and win, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. But, yeah, yeah, this is what happens when you have one of the uh, – when you have a major collapse that this organization had last, last year. I mean, everybody's hands are dirty. Everybody's pointing fingers. The only remedy to all this is, is, is winning. As the Jaguars had to finish down and went to the playoffs, and we're in the divisional round right now, none of this probably would have even occurred or wouldn't even happen. But when you have a major collapse like this organization did, and I say organization because it's from the top to the bottom, that this for for what happened when you go eight and three, number one seed to out the playoffs, and now everybody's pointing fingers. Everybody's saying it's your fault or this fault. It's the locker room, it's the coaching, it's the play calling, it's the administration, it's the GM, it's all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's expected. I'm sure the same thing is going on in Philly. Same thing going on in Philly. They had a major collapse as well to go from 10 and 1 to, you know, lose the five out of the six games and then they're bounced in the first round. So, I mean, at least they made it to the playoffs. We didn't even make it to the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's deserving, it's deservingly so that there's chaos going on within that organization because they're trying to figure out what a team that had the aspirations that we had last year to go to where we were at eight and, eight and three into the major collapse down the stretch, you know, no one's seat in that house should be comfortable. There should all be hot seats. And the thing is, too, Leon, and maybe I'm reading too much into this. I'm curious, a former player like yourself. So Brandon Bean earlier this week, the general manager of the Buffalo Bills, <laughs> now they got their heart ripped out on Sunday by Kansas City, just absolutely their heart ripped out. But yet the general manager for the Bills sat at a press conference podium for 63 minutes and answered every question the Buffalo media had for him for over an hour. And that was less than 48 hours after losing that game to Kansas City. It's been two and a half going on three weeks, and we haven't heard a peep from Trent Baalke. Is that a problem? It, it, it is. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm surprised it took this long to get his ducks in a row. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, a pre, it's prevalent. And to me, to what the problem is, uh, you know, and but the, you know what? They don't pay me enough money to figure it out. I can tell you what the problem is right here and right now. You have to have a press conference. There's a lack of leadership in that locker room. There's not enough guys to call each other out and hold them accountable for their play. And, and, and then it subsequently, it leads to the major collapse that, that we had. And I've never, listen, this is the reason why I could, I could never fathom what happened to the Jaguars. I, listen, I've either been on very good teams that finished strong or very bad teams that finished good. I've never been a good team to just collapse and not make it to the playoffs. And the one thing, it, it, the, the lack of leadership in that locker room, I'm, I'm telling you, or the lack of guys holding guy, other guys accountable. You can say all, you, you can say bulky and, you know, the draft class this year sucked. What it did, it just absolutely sucked. And you could talk about Press Taylor and you could talk about Doug Peterson, the play caller and all that other kind of stuff. But players play the game. You know, in the lack of leadership in that locker room, the lack of accountability in that locker room is the reason why this team failed and faltered the way they get. Everybody stayed status quo. Everybody was comfortable with the way they were playing. And they, they didn't feel the need to, to overexert themselves to make sure they got themselves into the playoffs. I've been in too many locker rooms. I, I've, I've heard the sounds. I've heard the conversations. There's no way in the locker rooms that, I, that I've been in, in the Steelers and the Jaguars, that we have, we would have allowed something like this this major to happen to our organization and our team.
You get Leon Searcy every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, as we begin to wrap up, let's talk about the teams that are still playing. Championship Sunday, you've been in a bunch of championship games. How many championship games for you? Three of them, right? I've been in four. four. I've been in four, and my, and my record sucks, okay? I'm one in three. <laughs> That's right. You had the two in Jacksonville and then obviously the two in Pittsburgh. I shortchanged you, so four championship games. Let's get into the AFC first. That's the first game on Sunday. Boy, what else do you really need to say, Leon? Patrick Mahomes on one side, Lamar Jackson on the other for the right to go to the Super Bowl. Well, that's going to be some atmosphere in Baltimore. It is. It, it absolutely is. And, and you know what? It, it's it, it's almost a it's almost a rite of passage that Lamar Jackson has to go through Patrick Mahomes to get to a Super Bowl. I mean, because you're talking about the Kansas City Chiefs teams that's gone to six straight AFC Championships games, and then you know, well, at least I am not a Ravens fan. All right. But I am a little Lamar Jackson fan. I'm a Lamar Jackson fan for the simple fact because the 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 scrutiny or the, uh, of this guy over the last year has just been surmountable. And I'm talking about he can't stay healthy. He's one in three. Uh, his contract situation, him handling his own contract. And then you had GMs who said that uh, they had no interest in Lamar moving forward. And I wish I had those 10 GMs that said that because I would fire every one of them right now <laughs> because over the offseason, you know, they said, oh, we have no interest in Lamar Jackson whatsoever. Negotiated his own contract, got his mom to help him out, paid, bet on himself, banked on himself, going to be the MVP, and now he's sitting where he's sitting right now in the AFC Championship game, one game from the Super Bowl. So I am not a Ravens fan by any stretch of the imagination, but I am a Lamar Jackson fan. I would love more than anything to see him put that hoist that Lombardi and put on that Super Bowl ring. Crazy thing is you had a cup of coffee in Baltimore towards the end of your career. I can't believe this is the Ravens' first AFC Championship game at home. You think about how good they, they've been. They have never played an AFC Championship game as the Ravens in Baltimore. They haven't. And it, it, that – which, that's what makes it even more astonishing is the fact that I think their first championship in 2000, I think they had to go to the Raiders and beat the Raiders to win. I'm not sure. I think and you're right. That was the Shannon Sharp play where he yeah, had like a 90-yard touchdown. The, and the second championship they had to go to, they either had to go through Pittsburgh or the Patriots to get to their second Super Bowl. So, I mean, that lets you know that they rode dogs. That in the AFC Championship game, you come into somebody's house, sit down at their table, and eat their food, and walk away. So yeah, this is yeah, this is their first championship game that they've hosted since 1971. Hack. Oh, 1971. That's crazy. My lasting memories of that Ravens Raiders game. Well, it's two. The Shannon Sharp 90-yard touchdown, and may he rest in peace, Tony Saragusa, just landing all his body weight on Rich Gannon. In that I game. remember that pile drive. You can't do that anymore. No, goodness, no. And, and Gannon <laughs> felt that, absolutely. All right, the NFC Championship game. Leon, if you're not a member of the 49ers organization related to anybody that works for the Niners or, I guess, somebody that lives in San Francisco, I guess those are the people rooting for the Niners. Everybody else on the planet's rooting for Detroit. They are the darlings of the NFL. Everybody wants to see Detroit and Dan Campbell get to the Super Bowl. What's your thought on the Lions and the Niners? Yeah, listen, I, I I want the Lions to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, I do. I really do. 
because then there will be, uh, you know, I want to, you know, I'm treating the Lions like going to the Super Bowl like American Idol because, you know, they're going to audition and possibly get in the Super Bowl. And there's three, there'll be three teams left that have never went to a Super Bowl. That's Cleveland, the Texans, and the Jaguars. Oh, and, yeah. I want this, and I want this organization to see it, see it happen. And, you know, not be envious of the fact, but know that this Lions team has been abysmal for decades upon decades upon decades. And they found the right coach who inspired the team. They're tough, they're physical, they're hard-nosed. They're a replica of what Detroit is all about. And I, I wish this team, because I don't even see some half of these guys out in, in the midst of the people of Duval. I wish the reason why we had so much success when I was playing, man, because we played for Duval. We were out and about amongst the people, got a feel for what they were all about. And we did not want to let this city, this county down because of the, the relationships that we had with people within the community. And that's the reason why we wanted to be success, not for personal gain, not for us to get attention, but we wanted to put Jacksonville on the map because we figured the fan base deserved it. And I, I wish this team acted accordingly to that. And maybe they'd play a little bit more. They'd play a, a lot damn better than they played last year for folding their tents with seven weeks to go. All right, Leon, leave us with this. Who wins on Sunday? What is the matchup in Super Bowl 58? Super Bowl 58 hack is going to be Ravens and Lions. Oh, I would love that. Love that. Absolutely. And really, the NFL is in a no-lose situation, Leon. Any matchup is going to be good. I mean, you got these four teams. There is not a bad matchup. But I would love to see Lamar Jackson go up against Dan Campbell and the Lions to hoist the Lombardi Trophy. You get Leon Searcy every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, I know you're busy, man. Thank you so much as always, and we'll do it again next week, bud. You got it, bro. There you go, Leon Searcy with us here every week on Hacker After Dark. We're going to preview the AFC Championship game in just a moment. We're going to go to Baltimore, Luke Jones, our guy up in Baltimore with WNST Radio in the 9 o'clock hour. We'll get the Kansas City side of it with my buddy Seren Petro of Sports Radio 810 out in Kansas City. I'll say this. Um, we've done our NFC Championship preview already. We've already been to Detroit. We've already been to San Francisco. I really, really, really am rooting for Detroit. I, I think it's a great story. I think it would be awesome they're a fun team. I love guys like Amon Ross St. Brown, and I've always been a big David Montgomery fan, Jared Goff, kind of the redemption story, right? Alex Anzalone and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, the former Florida Gators. I mean, Detroit would be great. I just don't think they can go to San Francisco and win. I think San Francisco got away with one last week. They did not play very well. This San Francisco team, other than the Baltimore game Christmas night, was probably the best team in the NFL the last two months of the year. Now, they got away with one against Green Bay, but you get Detroit out of Detroit, you get them in San Francisco at night. I don't know. I'm hoping for the best for Detroit, but I'm going to pick San Francisco to win the game and represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. What about the AFC? Well, we'll get both sides of it tonight first. Let's head to Baltimore. Luke Jones is our guy when it comes to the Ravens. He is with WNST Radio up in Baltimore, and he joins us next. Hacker After Dark 
on a Friday night in Jacksonville, Florida, and we're glad you're with us. It's 1010XL and 92.5 FM. 5.55 Jacksonville. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. And then there were four. Championship Sunday is on the horizon. Of course, in the NFC, you got Detroit and San Francisco. In the AFC, you got the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore dispatched of Houston last week, and they are getting ready to welcome in Patrick Mahomes and the defending world champions. With that, Luke Jones is our guy up in Baltimore. He's with WNST Radio, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Luke, how you doing? Doing well, Ryan. Lots of excitement here in Baltimore. So a uh, crazy week and figures to be a rocking atmosphere on Sunday afternoon in Baltimore. Luke, there's no question, and again, I appreciate you joining us. I know you're very busy this week. Let's take a brief look back. I mean, it's 10-10 at halftime against Houston in that stadium, Luke. Was there there any trepidation before Baltimore poured it on there in the second half? I mean, I don't know if I'd go as far as trepidation, but I'd say it was an unnerving atmosphere. I think people were nervous. I mean, you and I have talked uh, at a couple different points So over the last few years. I mean, this Ravens team has had all kinds of regular season success. Lamar Jackson uh, goes without saying what he's done over the course of his first five, six seasons, but it hadn't carried over to January. And, and uh, for as much as there's been excitement and this team had dominated in the regular season, it, it, it was impossible not to think back to four years ago when they were the number one seed and they lost to the Titans at home. So 10-10 and uh, Lamar and the offense had not gotten a whole lot going offensively. They give up the punt return for a touchdown. Uh, again, I don't know if there was panic as much as an uneasy feeling of they can't lose this game, right? So I, I think that's where they were. But uh, fortunately for the Ravens, made some adjustments to, to, to really counter that Houston blitz that was giving their offense trouble in the second half. And Lamar Jackson played all-world football in the second half as we've seen him play for much of the, this 2023 season. So, uh, again, I don't know if I'd say panic, but there was definitely a nervous energy when it was only 10-10 at the break. You know, I don't know how many times a one seed beating a four seed means – as much as at least to me it looked like it meant to Baltimore last week, Luke. I mean, when Lamar scored to make the game 31-10, he ran into the tunnel, the celebration was on. I mean, last week meant a little something to Lamar Jackson, did it not? It had to, and he'd be dismissive of that moment, meaning more than just the fact that, hey, want a playoff game, step closer, playing next week, chance to go to the Super Bowl. But it's like I just said, I mean, Lamar has heard this for, you know, go back to his rookie year where he took over for an injured Joe Flacco. The Ravens won six of seven down the stretch to win the division uh, and faced a Chargers team that they had beaten in L.A. just a couple weeks before that, and they lost. And, and Lamar, for the first time all year, really looked completely like a rookie and lost. You know, that's, you know, that's kind of been the, the narrative for him in the postseason. So for for the Ravens to not only win, but for him to play at an MVP level the way he did in the second half of that game, yeah, I think it did mean a lot. And, you know, as I've kind of characterized it this week, I think now this just kind of normalizes the playoff discussion for Lamar Jackson in the same way that people were talking about 
Josh Allen, or they're, they're going to be talking about Trevor Lawrence until the, you know he takes the Jaguars to the promised land. You know, all those quarterbacks in the AFC not named Patrick Mahomes, they're all on the same on the same footing. They're trying to chase uh, a Super Bowl. So I, I think this, but this win specifically was just so important. So from the standpoint of okay, Lamar Jackson played at a high level. They won this game. They were supposed to win this game. They didn't choke. Uh, and now it's a matter of, okay, it's game one, and you're facing the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Uh, they've been at the top of the mountain and have been for the better part of the last four or five years, really since Tom Brady left uh, New England. We know what the story's been in the AFC, but I think you're right, just from the standpoint of not because the Ravens weren't favored to, to, to beat the te- Texans. I mean, ever, just about everyone was picking them, but they had to go out and do it, and they did, and now it's not this narrative that Lamar is this lousy quarterback in January after being a good quarterback in the regular season. Now it's a case of, okay, played really well, and now he needs to do it again. But that's, like I said, any quarterback not named Mahomes is in that same boat. Uh, And it just happens to be the Ravens have this golden opportunity now to break through uh, against those Chiefs and get to a Super Bowl. Luke Jones, WNST Radio in Baltimore, here with us on 1010XL. In Jacksonville, Luke, the Baltimore defense, man, they played with a violence last week, man. They played with an anger. I, I know Roquan Smith was mic'd up. That was certainly entertaining uh, to listen to some of the things he was saying. Uh, C.J. Stroud and that Texan offense had been cooking. I mean, go ask Indianapolis, go ask Cleveland heading into that game, but they had absolutely no answer for that Raven defense. They really didn't. It's funny. We spend so much time talking about Lamar Jackson, and understandably so. I mean, he's going to be the MVP of the league. He's played at a, a terrific level this year. Uh, but kind of lost in that discussion has been not that it hasn't gotten some accolades and some attention, but you know, this is a defense, and I think I said this to you even when the Ravens were getting ready to come down to Jacksonville for that Sunday night game in December. For my money, it's the best Ravens defense we've seen since the days of Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. I mean, it's been that good. Uh, led the league in sacks, tied for first in the league in takeaways. They were first in scoring defense. And to your point, faced a Houston Texans offense that statistically didn't wow you but had really played well down the stretch. And uh, not only did the Ravens hold them to three points offensively, as I mentioned, their one touchdown, of course, came on that punt return, uh, but uh, they didn't even let, let them get inside the red zone. You know, they, they advanced inside the 30 just twice. And what was so impressive about about it, Ryan, was they didn't depend on these major momentum swing swinging plays. They didn't get any turnovers, and they didn't record any sacks, even though they registered a boatload of pressure on C.J. Stroud. He just happened to throw the ball away. So they did it in this way of not making these major splash plays to turn the game one way or the other. They just, uh, to your point, they were very dominant. They allowed some movement between the 20s, but you know, once not even the 20, once Houston got to about the Baltimore 40, the Baltimore 35 on a few occasions, the Ravens just wouldn't allow anything after that, and they really smothered them big time in the second half. So uh, it's a defense that has stars at every level, and uh, they played at a high level just about all season. And, of course, the big test now, Patrick Mahomes coming in here, but uh, in that way, in the same way with the Lamar narrative, I think it's only fitting for this team to have a chance, this defense to have a chance to enhance its legacy going up against the the guy that's been the best quarterback in football over the last five years. And let's get to that game on Sunday, Kansas City at Baltimore. Now, the one thing 
that I was shocked by when I heard this at the beginning of the week. You think how good the Ravens have been in Baltimore, obviously, like you mentioned, the days of Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and everybody that they had back then. This will be the first AFC championship game played in Baltimore since the days of the Baltimore Colts. That, A, shocks me, Luke, but B, makes me think that city right now is foaming at the mouth for Sunday to get here. Yeah, right. It's special. It's really special. And I say that as someone who had a priv- had the privilege of going down to New Orleans and covering the Ravens in Super Bowl Forty Seven against San Francisco. I mean, to play a game of this magnitude, unless you're in that unique position like the Rams were, uh, you know, we talked about it with Tampa Bay here recently. Uh, most most cities don't get to host the Super Bowl. And if they do, chances are their team's not playing in it that year. So uh, a conference championship's going to be as big as it gets. And uh, to your point, uh, January 3rd, 1971, Johnny Unitas and the Baltimore Colts uh, playing at Memorial Stadium on 33rd Street way back when uh, they beat the Oakland Raiders. In fact, that was the very first AFC championship after uh, they'd gone from you know the AFL-NFL format to the AFC-NFC. So uh, it's been a long time. And it, it is crazy when you think about it because the Ravens have had the, the degree of success that they've had over the last 25 years. I mean, two Super Bowls, they've been to some other AFC championship game, games, but all of them had, had happened to be on the road. So uh, it's going to be special. I know just even from talking to some of my friends, some family members, you know, this is the kind of game that beyond just the excitement of this year's team, you know, it's an experience. You know, it's something that you can cherish, and, and it's something that, you know, hasn't had, happened here in Baltimore in 53 years. And, uh, you know, in, in between that, you had a, one franchise leave, another one arrive, and uh, a lot of years where something like this just didn't happen. So there's a lot of extra excitement about this. And uh, uh, you, can, you can tell, just go on some of the secondary ticket market website, <laughs> websites and uh, you'll see how much the tickets are. Uh, you can tell Baltimore is absolutely uh, jazzed up for this one. Final moments, Luke Jones, WNST Radio. As you mentioned, Luke, in comes Patrick Mahomes and the defending world champion. And watching Kansas City last week, um, boy, they looked like they were angry. People were doubting them. It was Mahomes' first time on the road going into Bill's Mafia, and that place was brutal. I mean, the fans were unbelievably loud, passionate. Snowballs were flying, and Kansas City went in there and got it done. Now, conventional thinking is, well, how are you going to go into Buffalo and then seven days later go into Baltimore and come out with two wins? And I might be on that side of it, but, man, pulling against 15 or thinking 15 can't get it done two weeks in a row is a scary proposition. No question about it. And, look, all things being equal, the Ravens are a better team than the Kansas City Chiefs this year. I mean, you look at it statistically, you look at it record-wise, you look at it point differential-wise, you can look at DVOA and all the different metrics you want to look at, but it's still Patrick Mahomes, it's still Andy Reid. And I've, I've been using – I've been talking about this going back to November and December. You know, think about Christmas Day, how awful the Chiefs looked. There's something different about January. And I think if the Ravens play a complete game, you know, or, or somewhere close to a complete game, more complete than they played last week against Houston. I'll throw that out there. I, I think they need to do that. Uh, then they should win this football game. But it is Patrick Mahomes. It is the Chiefs. And I think they've looked the best they've looked all season, uh, really on Sunday, but I'd even go back to the previous week, uh, the way they handled Miami. So uh, they've got a running game. The Ravens' defense, relative, and I stress relative weakness, uh, is their uh, run defense. They can run the football. They do have a, a good pass defense. So 
this is you know this is a Kansas City team that's playing with more confidence. Uh, but the Ravens are at home. The Ravens have been tested over and over and over again down the stretch. I mean, we talked about their schedule back in December and the way they didn't just handle it, but they won emphatically. Uh, you know, I like the Ravens, but I think uh, I, I've said it to a few fans this week. You know, uh, you don't want to upset the football gods too by being too overconfident uh, as it pertains to this game because uh, it's still Mahomes, it's still Andy Reid, it's the Chiefs. They've been to three of the last four Super Bowls. They've won two of those. They're de- the defending champs, and uh, Ravens fans don't have to think back too long ago to remember the number of times where you felt like you'd write off Tom Brady and the Patriots and. Lo and behold, they'd be there in the end in January, even if they didn't look great in November and December. So uh, I think there's definitely uh, uh, a recognition of uh, what team is coming in here and the Ravens knowing they need to play really great football on Sunday to win and take care of the job. In the words of the great nature boy, Ric Flair, to be the man, you got to beat the man. And to that aside, does Lamar Jackson, Luke, need this game to get the recognition that he probably deserves? I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, if not, then, you know, look at how people are talking about Josh Allen this week. And Josh Allen's had a heck of, uh, you know, a heck of a run of good performances in these playoff games, but his team hasn't won. So, you know, I, I, like I said, last week was the game Lamar absolutely needed to kill the extreme narrative about how he's played in January. This is more of the run-of-the-mill conventional way of, hey, you, you have a chance to, to cement your legacy here. You know, Lamar Jackson wins the Super Bowl and he's going to win a second MVP. Go look at the list of guys who've done that, Ryan. They're all Hall of Famers or guys who are going to be in the Hall of Fame. So uh, Lamar Jackson is absolutely playing for his legacy. Uh, You know, he needs to win it to to solidify that, but he really wants to do it, you know, just to, because he wants to be the best. And you can't be the best if you don't beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. I, I think it's that simple. Luke, as we say goodbye, what type of game? Do you think we see on Sunday, and ultimately, who do you think comes out on top? You know, I, I think the Ravens are going to win this game. I, I think it's going to be close. I think the Ravens have to do what they've done all year, which is play high-quality football on both sides. You know, I do think this game could be maybe a little lower scoring than people think because I think both teams play high-level defense, and especially Kansas City relative to what they've been in recent years. So, uh, But I think the Ravens, you know, this feels like their year, Kansas City, to your point. They had to go through a heck of a lot just to to get through Buffalo, and now they got to go on the road again. I like the Ravens, but I think this could be a really close, really good football game. Luke Jones, WNST Radio in Baltimore. Luke, really appreciate your time. Know you're very busy this week. Best of luck to the Ravens, and if they're on their way to Vegas, hopefully we'll be able to talk to you here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, sounds good. I'll be in Vegas if the Ravens will be, so you can hit me up then and we'll catch up. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Boy, what a week it's been in the NBA. Joel Embiid, 70, right, a couple of nights ago. Right now, Luka Doncic, 65 for the Dallas Mavericks. They lead Atlanta by 10, nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Luka tonight, 23 of 30 from the field, including 8 of 13 from three-point range. So he's got 65 points, nine minutes to go in the game. He's going to have to stay in the game. Dallas is only up eight on Atlanta. But again, Luka, 65 and counting for the Mavericks tonight. Here in the 9 o'clock hour, Vinny Iyer, National Football League writer for the Sporting News. Vinny's been doing it 
for years. We're going to talk Jaguars. We're certainly going to talk AFC South, obviously the playoffs on Sunday, and also Seren Petro of Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City will round out our uh, previews for all four championship teams. For the record, give me both home teams. I think Super Bowl 58 will be the Baltimore Ravens and the San Francisco 49ers. I hope it's Baltimore and Detroit. I expect it to be Baltimore and San Francisco. We're with it till 10 o'clock, Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. Vinny Iyer, Sporting News, next, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. And then there were four. Championship Sunday is set. My goodness, what games we have to look forward to. Detroit and San Francisco in the NFC, and then, of course, Kansas City and Baltimore in the AFC. Now, the Jaguars aren't a part of any of this, obviously. We're already well over two weeks in to our offseason. Let's talk about all that with Vinny Iyer. He's covered the NFL for years for the Sporting News. You can also check him out at the Locked On Fantasy Podcast, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Vinny, how you doing? I do well, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Hey, Vinny, always appreciate the time. Boy, division weekend was pretty good, man. You had one blowout with Houston falling to Baltimore, but by and large, Vinny, the other three games were very, very good. Yeah, that's why I think it's the best weekend of NFL football. You get the right amount of games. You have two on Saturday, two on Sunday. You have usually the four best teams uh, in playing in each conference right i mean based on their body work and what they've done the regular season and the momentum they get from the wild card round or being the number one seed you get the best teams and the best play and that's what we got for most of the games i think the texans kind of uh overachieved all season long so you knew at some point that was going to be a tough matchup for them and look they hung in there for a half and then the ravens figured it out blew away so there was that but the rest of the games, you figured that's what you were going to expect. One possession games coming down to the wire. I mean, really have to be thrilled if you're a Packers fan to push the 49ers to the limit when that, you had that chance before in the playoffs with Aaron Rodgers and you got blown out of the building there in San Francisco. So a lot of positive signs if you're the Buccaneers, Packers, Texans, and just looking at what you can do there. But with the Bills, I don't think there's any of that good vibe, right? From uh, losing to the Chiefs at home, this is the game they were supposed to win as the number two seed versus the number three, getting Patrick Mahomes on the road. Now they go back to the drawing board, not figuring out how to get past either the Chiefs, and when they're there, and you figure they will be again with Joe Burrow, the Bengals, in the playoffs. So it has to be very frustrating that the Bills are still waiting for that breakthrough with Josh Allen. Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News. Yeah, I was listening to Buffalo Radio earlier this week, and Vinny, they were talking about it as well, but I noticed it watching the broadcast. That felt like the end of something in Buffalo. Now, obviously, Josh Allen's not going anywhere, and they'll still be good because of him, but they're massively over the cap. They got like 20 unrestricted free agents, including Jordan Poyer and Hyde and Gabe Davis. I mean, they got decisions to make. Has Buffalo's window that we always talk about, that window of opportunity, has that come down to being almost shut right now? I think this is what happens when you pay your quarterback. You've got to figure it out, and the way you do that, a lot of it is drafting well and being able to stack your team with some young players that are going to come up and 
do some damage or realize where you can get the values in the draft. I mean, look at the Chiefs. I mean, they paid Patrick Mahomes. It took a while to get back to where they wanted, but they rebuilt the offensive line. They invested in the pass rush and secondary. And that's what you have to do is you have to get a lot of youth to serve you well and have a good scheme that you can count on where you're going to maximize that talent when you're paying the quarterback. And maybe you're going to compromise with uh, some of your offensive skill. And look, the Chiefs did that, right? I mean, they didn't want to pay Tyreek Hill, so they kept Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey as the combination that was essential to what they needed to do. They get a seventh-round running back to do damage in Isaiah Pacheco, get a steal of a wide receiver outside of the first round in Rashi Rice. That's what you have to do. you got to use the draft to your advantage when you don't have the money. And I think the Chiefs have done a great job of drafting. Ravens have not only done a great job of drafting, but get some reclamation projects like Jadavion Clowney on the cheap and get a near double-digit sack season from him. So the Bills haven't done that as much. There's going to be as much pressure on the GM Brandon Bean as we have on Sean McDermott, right, to turn things around. Basically, their whole defensive front is a free agent and needs to be re-signed, and Greg Rousseau needs an extension. Von Miller is probably well overpaid for having a season without any sacks. So they've got a lot of issues. You mentioned uh, the safeties, wide receiver. So it's going to have to be a killer draft for the Bills to get back on track right away. Or You're facing the Dolphins and Jets, uh, Jets with Aaron Rodgers. It's going to be a very difficult road back to this uh, stage of the playoffs. We'll get the championship Sunday in a moment. Again, Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News. Before we get there, Vinny, obviously here in Jacksonville, we took notice of the Texans. That goes without saying. A year ago, people thought Jacksonville had arrived, right? Just like they're saying now with Houston. And <laughs> we can give Houston some advice. Uh, don't read your press clippings this off season. Where do you think Houston, Jacksonville will be? Obviously, a lot's got to be determined, free agency, and I get that. But as we stand here right now, what's your thought on the dynamic of Houston throwing Indy and Jacksonville in the AFC South moving forward? Yeah, the Jaguars, look, I mean, what we learned this year is that they didn't have the best quarterback when you go wire to wire in the division. We thought that was going to be 100% of the case, right, with Trevor Lawrence and what he did in the playoffs and pushing the Chiefs to the limit there. Okay, we thought, okay, this is going to be a big year for Trevor Lawrence. Calvin Ridley's in there. You had some signs of it in week one, but didn't quite happen. They didn't make a lot of adjustments. They really, in a strange way, like whenever Zay Jones was out, they couldn't really have the offense they wanted, or and they were very inconsistent on how much they wanted to use Travis Etienne. So a little bit was on Doug Peterson and Press Taylor trying to figure that out and make adjustments. I don't think they did as well. Now you've got some offensive line issues that you have to address, as well as Ridley being a free agent right after you made the trade for him. And there's a question mark there whether he was worth bringing back. So when you look at that, you got to make some adjustments to stay ahead of the game, help your quarterback. Because there's up-and-coming quarterbacks all the time. We saw it with C.J. Stroud. It's going to be different again, right, with Anthony Richardson probably healthy for the Colts. And he was off to a great start there before Gardner Minshew took over. And that team was rather successful in the playoff chase without Richardson for a while. So I do think it's going to be highly competitive there. Once again, it might be flipping into one of the better divisions in this league where it was uh, kind of laughed at right there with the NFC South. But I don't think that's the case anymore. So we'll see how that uh, continues to progress here. The Titans, who knows? They get the right coach with Will Levis. Watch out for them as well to have a turnaround. So it's going to be very fun to watch all these young quarterbacks at work in this division uh, when it's been kind of a struggle to get to this point. 
Vinny, you've covered the league for a while, man. The Jaguars were 8-3, and three, and they had the biggest collapse, you could argue, in the history of the franchise to miss the playoffs. And, and then since that moment, they've fired 10 coaches, including defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell. I can tell you people in this city are not happy that Press Taylor is coming back, and they're really not happy that it appears Trent Baalke is coming back. I mean, something like a collapse like that could alter the franchise, could it not? Yeah, I think you have to be careful of making wholesale changes, right? I mean, you did have the foundation just a couple of years ago. You were 8-3 and three at some point. Figure out what were the things that you didn't do well down the stretch. Now, I'll say one thing about Mike Caldwell's defense. I get that they gave up a lot of points and yards at, at key points, but they also had some big turnover games as well, and they were forcing turnovers and kind of making up for it that way. I think just looking at the results and blowing – some chances there and giving up a lot of points, I think in the end that cost him. And there's definitely some accountability in that, but they need to figure out how to keep that playmaking mentality, their defense. We know how far it took them when they made their championship appearance against the Patriots. That was all about the playmaking defense. So if they can build on that, clean up some things and then figure out a little bit of an offensive identity, maybe it's shifting a little bit more to getting Travis Etienne involved and whenever he was doing his thing, I mean, the Jaguars seemed to have the best offense. So tweak that line, maybe have a little bit more balance, explosiveness, diversity in the offense. And, and look, it's not going to take long get right back up there. But again, this league gets competitive in a hurry with all these quarterbacks, and Lawrence has to be on point as well, knowing that uh, Stroud, Richardson, Levis could catch up to him very fast. Yeah, there's no question. You can have the greatest quarterback and skill position guys on the planet if you don't have an offensive line, it's not going to matter. And I think that was proven here in Jacksonville this year. Again, Vinny Iyer, Sporting News, also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Podcast. All right, Vinny, that gets us back to the teams that are actually still playing. And let's begin with the NFC Championship on Sunday. Look, if you're not a San Francisco fan or a member of that organization, uh, your backs are against the wall in the court of public opinion. Detroit, I think, Vinny, is America's darling heading into Sunday. What a story it would be. And let's talk about the Lions first and foremost. How did they do this? How did Dan Campbell and general manager Brad Holmes do this? Because truthfully, we here in Jacksonville look at Detroit and we thought that's what we were going to be. So it was a little bittersweet watching that on Sunday. Well, one thing is basically the Lions had a clean slate and that's a big deal. When you get rid of those big contracts and you make trades, such as the Matthew Stafford trade to help you just load up on draft capital if you make the right decisions with those extra first-rounders or early second-rounders, and you spend wisely, right? They didn't go nuts spending in free agency. They made some calculated moves to kind of get key role players, C.J. Gardner-Johnson being an example. And just those type of players, I mean, they invested a little bit in the secondary. It hasn't quite worked out uh, on the outside as well, but – Look, when they add some leaders from other teams like Alex Anzalone, and then you have some capital where you, okay, you can go after Jack Campbell to be in the middle of our linebacker core. We have Aiden Hutchinson, make a good pick there with number two behind uh, the Jaguars pick. So when you look at that, those are some good foundations. They get Brian Branch this year, then kill it with uh, Jameer Gibbs and uh, Sam Laporta as their offensive skill players, adding them on St. Brown. So when you look at it, they've made a lot of great draft picks year after a short year here to turn things around. So they've basically hit 
at a level that you usually don't. And when you do that, and then you have a quarterback who can stabilize and cannot be forgotten, the biggest thing that was stable here the most was that offensive line. When you have that, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to win games. And you just credit them. They've pushed all the right buttons here to improve. And I think the biggest thing from the Lions from this year to last year that put them over top really is Dave Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs are just an upgrade over what they had with DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. So same concepts, but having – Two running backs that add a layer of explosiveness and red zone finishing you didn't have last year. I think America will be rooting for Detroit, Vinny. I think San Francisco is probably the better team on paper. Who wins the game on Sunday? Yeah, unfortunately, I think the 49ers match up really well against Detroit on both sides of the ball. They throw to the tight end well. The Lions struggle with that. The flip side, the 49ers cover the tight end well. Those are going to be big factors in the game. And then Lions in that downfield coverage is very shaky we saw them struggle with mike evans they're going to struggle a lot with brand Ayuk. if debo samuel plays that's going to be another big concern and then christian mccaffrey we're not even talking about him coming out of the backfield as a receiver so i think corning iron's offense is too loaded lions defense too young too inexperienced to slow them down i think the lions will have some success offensively but jared goff we know not the same quarterback on the road historically Final moments with Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News. That gets us to the AFC Championship game. And, Vinny, I mean, it's Mahomes against Lamar, man. What else do you really need to say? I, I'm, I'm stunned, though, that Baltimore, for all the success that they've had, the first AFC Championship game that they've had there as the Baltimore Ravens, that's crazy to me to think about. But I guess you think back to all those great teams, and they did do a lot of those things on the road. Uh, what a scene that should be in Baltimore on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, it, it should be fantastic to see. And it looked great job by them as well with the coaching staff, changing Todd Munkin and Mike McDonald, making some adjustments to the basis and foundation they have. Again, another team that didn't waste draft capital, getting Zay Flowers, getting Kyle Hamilton. They're just hitting. So if you hit on the draft, you can turn things around quickly no matter what. Yeah, because you got cheap guys that can go out there and play. I love when the Chiefs and Ravens almost – the same team it just comes down to the quarterback right but these are the one two pass rush teams in the nfl very good secondaries very good special teams very good tight ends so it really comes down to as we want to break it down Mahomes versus jackson which quarterback has the better game makes the bigger plays doesn't make any mistakes and it comes down to that i mean i love it when you have two quarterbacks going to determine everything but i would expect both teams to play extremely well in this game and I'm expecting a classic. I, I just hope so. Does Lamar need this game, Vinny, for his legacy or whatever you want to call it? Well, let's keep in mind Lamar's still pretty young. I mean, and he's also been in an era where Patrick Mahomes has been around, and it's hard to get through Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Joe Burrow was able to do it once and get there and almost had an opportunity again. I don't know if he needs it because he's going to be a two-time MVP as much as Mahomes, and, you know, he's going to be around for a while, but this would definitely accelerate him in that conversation to get closer to where Mahomes is at. When all is said and done, you like San Francisco in the NFC. Who do you like in the AFC? Yeah, until I see it, until like the Wicked Witch of the AFC West is done, I'm going with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Like I, I've learned too many times, go against Patrick Mahomes in games like this. It's tough. It can happen. So there's that inspiration for the Ravens fans. The Bengals have done it in their own division. So I still like the Chiefs, however, until I see Patrick Mahomes fail in the big moment in this type of game. 
it's hard to go against it. Yeah, I think I'm leaning with you. It's hard to go against 15 in a game like this. Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News and the Locked On Fantasy Podcast. Vinny, tell the good folks here in Jacksonville what they can anticipate over at the Sporting News leading into Championship Sunday. Yeah, we've got our picks up to break down these games in more detail for you, so check it out. Uh, against spread, straight up, uh, how we want to break down these matchups, you can look at that, and then We'll just look a little bit ahead of the offseason to some of these teams that have lost. So a lot of good stuff, and we'll have a lot of that covered as well and Locked On this week, so check it out. Always enjoy the conversation with Vinny Iyer, host of the Locked On Fantasy Podcast, and, of course, he's been with Sporting News for years. Vinny, thank you as always, bud. We'll do it again soon. All right, thanks, Ryan. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. And then there were four. Kansas City, Baltimore, San Francisco, and Detroit. We've already been to the Bay Area, to the Motor City, and to Baltimore. Let's round out our championship previews this week by heading out to Kansas City. They're coming off a huge win against Buffalo, and they will travel to Baltimore on Sunday afternoon. When it comes to Kansas City, our guy out there is Seren Petro of Sports Radio 810. Seren, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Ryan. I'm doing well. Good to be with you. Hey, Seren, thank you for the time, man. know you're very busy this week. All right, they go into Buffalo last week, and it certainly looked like the defending world champions had a chip on their shoulder, whatever you want to call it, the genuine emotion once they won that game. What did that win? I mean, the Chiefs don't have to prove anything to anybody, Seren, but there was a lot of talk about the road and the Bills Mafia and all of this last week, and, boy, they put a lot of that talk to bed. Yeah, they did, and I think one of the things that's pretty clear is, like, if you put a task in front of Patrick Mahomes, he's going to want to fulfill it. And, you know, that no no win on the road. He was, what, I think it was 12-3 and three, uh, in his career, playoff-wise, uh, and only three of those games have been played on a neutral field. All the rest have been played in Arrowhead Stadium, and he's the kind of guy that, you know, has a Michael Jordan-like level of competitive nature. And so if you put something in front of him, that you say, hey, you've never done this. He's going to go out and try to get it done. And, uh, you know, the word was that uh, he was ultra competitive, even to a point of, like, firing the ball around and walkthroughs when guys weren't in pads and everybody's saying, hey, you know, let's settle down. You know, we're not not in pads here. It's just a walkthrough because he was fired up and looking to prove a point, and I think he did. You know, Travis Kelsey obviously is not maybe what he was five years ago, but he certainly looked like it last week. In the biggest games, Kelsey shows up in the biggest moments, a couple of touchdowns. Clearly, Kelsey last week, Seren, vital to what the Chiefs did. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the things that happened, one, he, he got a week off, right? He took that last uh, week off, even though he was only 16 yards away from getting to 1,000 yards for the eighth consecutive time in his career. He said, listen, uh, it's more important for me to get healthy and be ready to go for this playoff game. He took that week off. He said his you know, body felt great. I think he had an extra spring in his step. But I think we also saw for the first time a team said, Rashi Rice is the guy we've got to take away. He's been the bigger threat this year, and we're going to focus on him. And when they did, uh, that left uh, more room for Travis Kelsey to work, and he took advantage of it. And we saw more of a vintage Travis Kelsey, certainly in the end zone, uh, even being open a couple times when Patrick missed him, uh, he was there. So I think that's, you know, a little bit scary. He is 
you know, coming off some bumps and bruises of a of a game this week. It's not, uh, you know, two weeks since he played. It's just one week. So uh, we'll see how much that might affect the pep in his step uh, for this game. But, you know, it's a little bit scary if uh, both of those guys are up and running. You're starting to get back to at least where they were offensively last year. And uh, I think there's a lot of confidence that uh, this offense is playing its best football right now. Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. Seren, I know you've covered that team for a long time. You think about the great running backs in Chiefs history, the Nigerian Nightmare, Christian Okoye and Barry Word, Jamal Charles, Larry Johnson, go on through the line, Priest Holmes, obviously. Pacheco, to me, is not there yet, obviously, but good gracious, Seren. I don't know if I've ever seen a more violent running back. I mean, that guy just looks angry every time he gets the ball, and man, that is what you need at this time of the year. Yeah, and he, and he has been uh, really, and maybe is the engine that makes it all go, right? They've needed him more because passing-wise, they can't just drop back on every down and sling it. They need you know, some attention to be paid to that running game. They need some play action to maybe freeze the linebackers or hold the safeties for a second. And that only works if your guy's running the ball and running the ball effectively, and he's done that. And it's a great tribute to Brett Beach and his staff scouting-wise. Got him in the seventh round. His last year at Rutgers didn't even average four yards a carry. I mean, everybody was saying, how does this guy run a 4-3-5 and average less than four yards a carry at Rutgers? I still don't really know. I'm assuming the offensive line must have been god-awful because in Kansas City you can see all those attributes, all those skills, all the athleticism that's there, and the fact that he runs with a passion. And, you know, guys talk about him being really the motor that gets them going. Everybody feeds off that energy. So, you know, he gives the offense a, a threat that – uh, you know, they didn't have maybe a couple of years ago, and it's something they really need because uh, the passing offense isn't as dynamic without Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey a little bit older. Well, now you've got to account for him in the running game. And if you play a light box, which the Buffalo Bills tried to do, Andy Reid will just hand the football off and take it in little chunks as opposed to trying to get it in big chunks. You know, you mentioned Rasheed Rice. Obviously, he was big last week. Valdez Scantling made some big catches. I mean, look, this wide receiver core has been raked over the coals in Kansas City for a large portion of the year. But like Kelsey, they stood out in the biggest moment last week. They, they did. And, and, and raked over the coals, frankly, for good reason. They led the league in drops. That's been a real problem. MBS at the heart of that uh, really may be costing the Chiefs the game. And, and all likelihood, I think they were down under a minute. Uh, when he dropped the uh, ball in the end zone, that would have been the go-ahead score against the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, you can point to this wide receiver score, the opening uh, wide receiver core, the opening game against the Lions. You know, uh, Kadarius Tony had one catch for three yards. Uh, his four drops, one of them was a pick six for the Lions. They lost that game by one point. You can directly point to this wide receiving core and say they're the reason why they're not the number one seed and playing all the way through at Arrowhead Stadium. It has been a big, big problem. Even Rashi Rice early had some drops. Now, he's been very sure-handed of late, but he even had a couple of drops early on. They're getting away from that. MBS, listen, I wouldn't bet on that happening again. He's had the drops. He, he's a body catcher. He can't really catch the ball with his hands. And so he's been a big disappointment as a free agent signing. But he came up giant last year in the AFC Championship game against the Bengals when he had over 100 yards receiving, and they had everybody and their brother going down in that receiving core, and they really needed somebody to step up. They were down to a special teams wideout and a backup tight end in their three wide receiver sets because Kelsey was down. Juju Smith-Schuster was down. You know, Everybody seemed to be dropping. Justin Watson didn't play in that game. And he came up big, especially in the second half when they really needed him. This was kind of a similar situation. They really needed him. There were two big catch that were vital uh, to keeping drives alive. And if he can do that, if he can just be a couple of times a game when everything else is covered, if Patrick Mahomes can go there, if he can win some contested balls, then they do get very tough. But I seriously doubt 
that he can do that in back-to-back weeks. And, of course, McCole Hardman was the treat that he always is with some kind of harebrained, uh, you know, mental lapse where he makes a mistake and costs the Chiefs at least a field goal and what looked like was going to be a touchdown by fumbling the ball through the end zone. And Kadarius Toney, I think they, they trust even less because they don't let him get on the field. He's got a mystery injury that's kept him out since he had another bad day since the game after he lined up offside. So, yes, you're absolutely right. That was huge. They don't get here without MBS stepping up, and now we'll see if they can do it again for two weeks in a row. A couple of more for Seren Petro. He's our guy out in Kansas City with Sports Radio 810. Seren, the defense last week did just enough, right? I mean, Josh Allen was good, and they, they put up numbers, but when it came down to it in the fourth quarter, who was it again? Of course, Chris Jones maybe altering that Josh Allen pass, getting in his way. Allen throws it short. Ultimately, the field goal goes wide right. So the defense, again, for Kansas City, stepping up in the biggest moment. Yeah, the defense had a rough go in the first half. Now, the Bills had the you know the possession to start and were able to kind of sit on the clock to open the game. But 200, and I think it was uh, 60 yards given up in the first half, 130-some-odd yards in the second half. They tightened it up a lot in the second half. But the one thing they really couldn't do was stop the run. Now, they were much better in the second half. Again, 67 yards uh, for James Cook in the first half, negative six, which, by the way, the over-under was 61.5 on his rushing total. So some frustrated betters who thought they had already cashed a ticket in the first half at 67 yards, and then he regresses back to 61, and they got losers uh, in their hands. You want to talk about a bad beat uh, for, uh, for some of the betters that are out there. But they got a lot better in that run. In that, in that first half, Chris Jones seemed to have little interest in stopping the run, maybe even for the whole game, but that's what he does. He rushes the passer, and he'll be a menace, and that's what the Chiefs are going to have to do against Baltimore. They'll have to stop the run and get into those you know, passing downs where they can really get after uh, Lamar Jackson with probably a controlled pass rush, but you know, this is the number one rushing offense against the Achilles heel of the Chiefs defense, which is their rush defense. It was better down the stretch until this game against Buffalo, but this is a very good running quarterback again. Different style of running, but very effective runner at quarterback again, and that gave the Chiefs a lot of fits in that first half, so we'll see if they can do a better job uh, this time around against Baltimore. Saran, let's get to the game on Sunday. Historically, Steve Spagnuolo in Kansas City. How does he fare? He and his defense, how do they fare against Lamar Jackson? You know, they haven't played him since 21, and in that day, uh, you know, it was a track meet up and down the field. I think Baltimore won 36-35. They had, uh, you know, the, the Ravens really limited the Chiefs' running game. They didn't have Isaiah Pacheco. And when you can't run the ball and when you can't hold the ball, it gets harder to play defense for extra minutes, extra possessions. And so it'll be a different look, that Isaiah Pacheco running attack. I think gives them a chance to get more rest, get more time on the sideline, maybe control the clock and help the defense out. But uh, it was a track meet up and down the field. Ultimately, the Chiefs lost with a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire fumble and I think of the Baltimore 32 uh, when they were driving for what would have been the game-winning field goal. But they blew a 13-point lead in the fourth quarter. So they're going to have to play a lot better than they played the last time these two faced off. But uh, both teams have, you know, got a lot of different personnel. I think the Chiefs defense has come light years from where it was uh, two years ago. It's, it's, a, it's a much deeper team. And, you know, but the key is still going to be to take away that run and try to force Lamar Jackson to beat you with his arm. He's a much better passer now than he was in their early meetings back in 2019 and 20 and 21. But, uh, but still the game plan for the Ravens is to run the ball. And I think uh, Spagnuolo is going to have to find a way to take that away. And I think he's going to have to take it away quicker than waiting around in the second half to get it done. Final moments here with Seren Petro of Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. Seren, it's interesting how quickly narratives change, right? We have heard nothing about the road aspect now after you go into Buffalo and win. 
But this is tough, right? Bills Mafia, that's a tough physical game. You got to turn right back around and go into Baltimore. I was shocked when I heard this. The Ravens, as good as they've been, this will be their first AFC championship game at home yeah. as the Baltimore Ravens, which is crazy to think about. What is your thought on Kansas City back-to-back -back road games? Can they do it again? You know, our first uh, AFC championship game played in Baltimore since the very first one when they hosted it as the Baltimore Colts. And you know that's going to be a raucous environment. You know, I talked to some people who were in Baltimore last week, and they said it was amazingly loud, and I think it'll be even louder. I mean, this is payback. There's a lot of pressure on Lamar Jackson. There's pressure on the Baltimore Ravens to get over the hump and, and to go through the Kansas City Chiefs. But I think the Chiefs proved – but, you know, they can circle the wagons. They've always been a very good road team under Andy Reid. In fact, I think his record might be slightly better on the road than it is at home. But that includes, obviously, a lot of junk teams that are just filling out your regular season schedule. This is the playoffs. It's only their second time. I do worry. I'm not going to say it was the Chiefs Super Bowl. They're much too experienced in playing in big games, six straight AFC championship games. They know what it is and what this game is going to take. But there was a lot put into the fact that last week was that first road game, and they really wanted to debunk that. Now that that's out, uh, is there – because they played a little bit like a team that was maybe drunk on success from being the defending champions all year. They've played better. They've played sharper. They've been eliminating the mistakes, really limiting uh, the penalties last week. That's been a big one and a big problem for them. But it's still a team that's minus 11 in the takeaway uh, turnover uh, differential department uh, going into Baltimore against a team that's plus 12. And I don't see any way that the Chiefs win this playing negative football, which they were minus one against the Buffalo Bills. They're going to have to take the football away. They're going to have to protect the football. They're going to have to keep away from the penalties. And they're going to have to play from in front where they can really keep feeding the ball to Isaiah Pacheco because I don't think they want to face the number one sacking defense, uh, chasing 7, 10, 14 points. Patrick Mahomes has been brilliant in those situations, but it sure isn't the game plan this week against Baltimore. Seren, final question. You said last week when we had Yawn, Getting to the AFC Championship game for the sixth straight year, that was going to be the big goal, and they've accomplished that. They beat Buffalo, and like you said, they put that to rest, the whole road game narrative. Now that they're here, sixth straight AFC Championship game, which is nuts, do they need to win this to justify the season for it to be a success? I mean, where are you with that going into Sunday? You know, I, look, the, unfortunately and, and unfairly, this team will be measured by winning championships. I mean, that's just where you are when you get to the, you know, stage that they're at. That's going to be the defining moment. I think for most of the fan base, you know, the AFC championship game is, is this is, I don't want to say good enough, but this results in a successful season because of how bumpy the road was this year. Is their worst record with Patrick Mahomes. And so there was a lot of reason to doubt whether or not they could get here. They were an underdog against the Buffalo Bills. They're an underdog again. In fact, I'll even point to the fact they were plus 122 on the money line, which is how you would bet the Chiefs to win outright, right? An even game, it would be just even money. Instead, they were getting an extra 22 cents on the dollar. They're plus 158 yesterday when I looked at this, which speaks to even though it's only one point different in the spread, three and a half points instead of two and a half points, uh, they're pretty confident when they lay that kind of money uh, on the Chiefs to win it outright that the Baltimore Ravens are going to find a way to win this game. So I think, you know, maybe that's the narrative. Maybe the fact that they're again being doubted and being doubted even more that they can use that as fuel. It's been a successful season. This is what it's going to look like more years than not for the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, there'll be a couple of years where it all lines up draft-wise and free agent-wise, and they'll be the number one seed with a bullet and the favorite to win it. But a lot of years when you carry that contract to Patrick Mahomes, you're going to be getting into the playoffs, but you're going to have to do some damage on the road. We saw that with Tom Brady uh, through the years. A lot of years they were one seeds, but not always a one seed. 
this year, I think, has met fans' expectations. I just hope it hasn't met the expectations of the team. Uh, let's hope that they come in with the same kind of fire that they brought against Buffalo. If they do, they absolutely can win this game, but they're rightfully underdogs in it. Kansas City at Baltimore on Sunday. The winner will go to Super Bowl 58. Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. Seren, again, man, know your slam this week. Thank you for taking time out. We really appreciate it, brother. Anything for you, my friend. You're the best. I appreciate it. And thank you to my buddy Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City, for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark as we've hit them all, the four teams left. In the NFL playoffs for Championship Sunday, we've been to San Francisco, we've been to Detroit, we've been to Baltimore, and we end it with Seren Petro of Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. My big takeaways of the evening here on Hacker After Dark, well, it goes back to yesterday's press conference with Jaguar General Manager Trent Baalke, and I brought this up a little earlier on social media, and it's a tiny similarity to what we actually do here on 1010XL. Um, some of you, not all, I'm not going to say all, or not even most, but some of you have preconceived notions about us based on what you've listened to over the years. And it doesn't matter if we change, it doesn't matter what we say, even if we say things that you happen to agree with. You have already preconceived that you just simply don't like our opinion and we'll never change that line of thinking, which is fine. That's what makes the sports world go round, you know, whatever. It's similar to Jaguar general manager Trent Baalke. I was thinking about this earlier. Did he earn himself any points at that press conference yesterday? No, probably not. But, man, a lot of people were very upset about a lot of things that he said. I took issue with some of the things, but the reaction to me was somewhat over the top. And I was thought, well, he could have gone out there and literally said water is wet or the sky is blue, or grass is green, and some of you that don't like Trent Baalke would have still found flaw with that. That's just where we are as a polarizing topic that Trent Baalke is here in the city of Jacksonville. So uh, he had to do the press conference. He had to answer some questions. I applaud him for that. Certainly a lot of people took exception to things that he said. I took exception to a few of the things that he said. But again, I don't think he was ever going to earn any fans that he didn't already have yesterday because the ones of you that do not like Trent Baalke gave him no credit when he took him from a three-win team in 2021 to a nine-win team in 2022, right? There was no credit given because you already had a preconceived notion that you didn't like the guy. Well, same thing here. No matter what he said yesterday was not going to change your opinion on Balky or the direction that you feel he has this organization going in. Just food for thought going into the weekend. Well, that'll just about do it. It's been a very busy evening and a very busy week here on Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys for hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. Thank you to Luke Jones, WNST Radio in Baltimore, as we previewed the AFC Championship game from both sides. My buddy Vinny Iyer covers the NFL for the Sporting News. Stop by and Leon Searcy. You get him every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. As far as Championship Sunday, give me the home teams. I will take the Baltimore Ravens, and I will take the San Francisco 49ers. I'm certainly rooting for Detroit. 
but I think San Francisco will be too much at home. So give me the Ravens and the 49ers in Super Bowl 58. Regardless of what happens Sunday, we will be here on Monday night to break it down with you here on Hacker After Dark. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Friday evening and your entire week with us here on Hacker After Dark. We certainly, certainly appreciate it. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Friday evening and a fantastic weekend. Enjoy Championship Sunday, and we will do it all over again Monday night, beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.